Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift, therefore, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The word of the Lord. All right, you can be seated. Aren't those some joyous words to get us going today? These are the words of Jesus, and we always give thanks for them. Um, It's really easy to not understand what he is saying sometimes, and that's kind of my job to help us understand and to dig deeper. Um, We are continuing to look at the early ministry of Jesus, and just uh, this this last week we're going to look at this chunk of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and then we're going to move and position our hearts for the season of Lent starting next week, um, getting ourselves ready for that. But, um, man, parenting's difficult. Um, parenting is tricky. Um, I, I've got like teenagers now and I have a little one still and there's something, um, there's something about my interactions with my kids that even when they're not doing the wrong thing, they're still doing the wrong thing. Does anybody know what I mean? Like, like you, they haven't punched their sister in the face but you can see on their facial expressions, they really want to punch their sister in the face. There's been plenty of times where I'll look at one of my children and I'll give them the look like, hey, knock it off. And they're like, what? I didn't do anything. Maybe that's you as adults where you look at your spouse and go, what? I didn't do anything. You look at your boss, I didn't do anything. And and, and that's technically true. You you didn't do anything, but there's still something there that's broken. Um, 
with my kids, my goal isn't just to make sure they don't murder people, right? Because if that's the case, there's a lot of great parents out there. My children never murdered anyone. Congratulations, Parent of the Year Award. That's not our goal as parents. We want our kids to actually become great people with good hearts and good intentions and who love others and serve them well. We, we want our families to do the same thing. We want our spouses to be the same. What if my wife just said to me, well, Jesse, I didn't beat anybody up this week in the streets of Scranton. Congratulations, Ashley. You're not a violent threat to society. Congratulations. You have kept the law. You, you have done a good job. We have a culture that Jesus is talking to, coming into, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, he starts off, we talked about this a few weeks ago, with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are insulted, who are mocked for the kingdom of heaven. It's this upside-down kingdom. He's saying, you as my followers, the people of God, don't live like the rest of society. You actually... Fulfill the law like Christ fulfills the law by living out love. Remember we talked about this last week? When we live out love, when we love God first, when we love others the way God has loved us and the way we are called to love ourselves, then we naturally fulfill the law. And Jesus in this section of verses takes it a step further. He says, of course, if you love me, you keep the commandments. If if you love me, Jesus says, I fulfill the whole law, but that's not even all that I do, and that's not even all that I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to examine something deeper. So Jesus says to them, you've heard it said, and this is a common phrase that rabbis would have used, and usually when a rabbi would say, you've heard it said, he's basically getting ready to break down what's expected of the society, what's expected out of the law. The law that was given to the people of God, the rabbi's ready to expand on it and to kind of just help you understand what keeping the law looks like. But Jesus doesn't just end with, you've heard it said, don't murder. Jesus says, you've heard it said this, but I say to you this. Jesus, in effect, says, hey, you were taught this thing but I want you to see what that thing really means. You were taught not to murder. You were taught not to commit adultery. You were taught not to divorce for ridiculous reasons. But yet you were always given an excuse and an ability to do so. I want you to see something deeper. They live in a culture of the law of behavior. The religious leaders of that day, the, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they kept the law. They did all the right things by not doing the wrong things. They, they felt really good about themselves because they didn't do all the wrong things. But Jesus wants more than that. Of course, it starts off in Jesus' mind by loving God and loving others. And it's possible, though, to not break the commands and still violate the greatest of the two commands, the two greatest commands. It's possible to not murder anyone and still have zero love for the Father and zero love for your fellow man. 
It's possible to not commit adultery and still not love the Lord your God with all your heart and not love your neighbors as yourselves. Do you, are you tracking with me? It's very possible for you to obey the speeding limit. <laughs> not so for me, but anyway, for you, it's very possible for you. To obey all the laws that Pennsylvania gives you and still have a broken, selfish, prideful, violent, hateful heart. It's still, it's possible for you to break the greatest of the two commands and still kind of keep all the other ones technically. And when we technically keep the commands, we posture ourselves in this way that says, I don't really need anything else because I've done everything right. I don't really need rescued. I don't really need a savior. I don't really need healing because I've done everything right by the book. You cannot find fault in me. And Jesus says, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Jesus looks at this in this passage here and he says this. He's like, if anyone's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the councils. Talking about the Sanhedrin, the gathering of the religious leaders. If you are full of judgment and full, full of hatred, if you're angry, there's, a, there's this council that will happen. If you say fool, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus kind of moves on and says, hey, forget about murder. Even name-calling reveals something. It reveals contempt. It reveals hatred and violence in your heart. Now, I'm not going to get political, but the cars on 81 get political. They might not have killed the president, but their cars reveal, the bumper stickers in their windows reveal the desire to kill the president. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The language that we speak, the, the insults that we give to people around us actually reveal something that's going on on the inside. And Jesus says, that's what I care about, actually. Like, I'm trying to get not just to the surface level of what you do or don't do. I'm trying to get beneath the surface and see what's motivating you, what's driving you. This, the name-calling thing is important. Name, names matter, actually, in, especially in Judaism, in ancient Judaism. A, a name that was spoken over somebody was a, a definition of their character. That's why Jesus' name matters. Yahweh saves. That's why in the Old Testament, all their names actually are a declaration of who they are and what they did in society. It was a, a speaking either blessing or cursing over them. And Jesus says, even the names that you put on people reveal the posture of your heart. It matters. And it says, if you call somebody fool, you'll be put in a hell of fire. What is this talking about here? Well, the actual Greek word is Gehenna. Gehenna. Quite often when you read in your Bible the word hell, you're gonna, it's actually one of two words, Gehenna or Hades. And in this case, especially throughout Matthew, it's, re, it's a use, the use of Gehenna. And this refers to the Hinnon Valley. Gehenna is this valley, what we call Hinnon now. It's this valley right outside of Jerusalem where in the ancient days they offered the, the people of God 
who trusted God with their children, their lives, their offspring, their provision, they took their own children and sacrificed them to Molech. They sacrificed them to other gods in this valley. And in Jesus' day, this valley is a place of despair and shame on the people of God. It's outside of the city of Jerusalem. It sits out there, and they've turned it into the local garbage dump where they set the trash on fire. So it's always full of worms, always full of fire, always full of weeping and gnashing of teeth because it reminds them of how broken they were. Here's what Jesus is saying. When you live with a heart posture of anger and hostility towards your brothers, you actually put yourself not in Jerusalem, the city of peace, Jerusalem. Jeru is city, shalom is peace. You do not put yourself in the city of peace, but you take yourself and posture yourself in Gehenna where there's fire and decay and destruction and poverty and brokenness and hostility a place of shame and frustration and chaos. When you speak evil against those around you, you are no longer in Jerusalem. You are out in the the Hinnon Valley. You are in hell. You posture yourself in hell. Jesus says your heart posture, the words you speak, not just whether or not you killed somebody, but the very intentions and drivers inside of you, those things matter and those things posture who you are, and how you live your life. Are you with me this morning? Jesus says this kind of anger and hostility has no place inside of the people of God. Actually, he says that whenever you have a problem with another brother or sister, Adelphos, Philadelphia, Philly fans, there you go, city of brotherly love, not so much, right? When there's a problem among brothers, I actually, just what Jesus says, actually leave your offering. Like, leave your offering and go fix it. He's saying when you're gathering together in worship and you're bringing your offering to worship to the Lord and you have hatred or frustration or anger or, or name calling in your heart toward another brother, go ahead and just stop your worship. Go fix your heart, then come back and worship. That's how seriously Jesus takes this. Do you know why we have the passing of the peace with our offering? Because the moment where we check our hearts and we either offer peace, Jerusalem, or we leave our offerings and stay in hatred. That's why we put these two things together. We want you to pass peace and that when your hearts are clear and there's peace and love and, and forgiveness amongst us as a family, then we bring our offerings to the Lord. And we continue in worship. We cannot rightly worship when our hearts are full of anger. We cannot properly worship when our hearts are full of hatred. Grant Osborne writes this, Reconciliation in the kingdom community is so important that it has priority over worship. Let me say that again. Reconciliation has priority over worship. God wants you to be reconciled. He wants your hearts to be reconciled. We should not, so let's look at the rest of these passages. We're not going to dive deeply into them, but the next section he talks about lust. So so congratulations, you you didn't commit adultery, but your hearts are full of lust. 
Don't celebrate that you haven't cheated on your spouse. Look inside and say, Lord, purge this out of me. Pluck this eyeball out of me, this thing that causes me to stumble over and over again. I would rather get rid of this thing in me than all of my life be over here in Gehenna. I would rather have this one part that I hang on to and and count as dear. I would rather say that's gone and live in Jerusalem, the city of peace, than over here in Gehenna. Now, Jesus, even though he's, there's clear commands in the Greek, he is not literally saying, pull your eyeballs out, because there would be a lot of blind men and women in the world today. He is wanting you to do surgery on yourself, to look deep within, to examine what's happening underneath, to see what's going on. Where everybody else might not see it, they might think you have it all together, and technically you've done no, no wrong, but something deeper is happening. He says you shouldn't celebrate that you divorced legally. You should grieve that there was a marriage that was destroyed, a covenantal agreement that was broken, that two people made in the image of God meant to be unified together. You split. What was happening in that culture is men could get divorces pretty quickly. And Jesus says, no, unless unless there's immorality, like sexual immorality happening here, you need to fight for that thing. Don't celebrate that you legally divorced your wife and now she's struggling. She's made in the image of God. Don't feel good about yourself that you violated covenant because you wanted something more. Don't just look at the law and make yourself feel good, but look at the motives that drove you to that decision. Look at the selfishness that lies underneath. Look at the heart posture that's there that, you, that other people can't see. Today I'm really excited that Joe and Hannah are with us um, visiting in town. This wasn't planned. I saw him during worship. I'm like, oh, I got a story. Joe and Hannah met here at City Lights. My wife played matchmaker. And now you have three kids? Three kids. Three's, three's a good bit. Three kids, and um, they're just amazing people, and they, and they don't live in this area anymore, so I'm glad when they're able to, to visit us. But um, a few years back, Joe's a pilot, and Joe asked me to fly with him and Hannah uh, in a plane. And what we were getting ready to do as a church, we were getting ready to have our fall party. And that year specifically, it was going to be at Robas, right? Robas. And there's one thing at Robas that everybody, like... Well, there's a couple of things at Robas, but like Robas is known for a, like an exciting corn maze, and it's always got a different shape and theme every year, right? And we had this genius idea that the church would go there, and together we would try to challenge each other to get through the maze, and they would have no clue and be lost. We, with our eyes in the sky, would see what's hidden beneath. And so we did. We flew over Robas, and we took a ton of pictures. <laughs> ton of pictures. Just, I'm just out the window. Um, just took pictures. Uh, it's, it's one of like the thrills of my life to fly with Joe. I just love it. It's just so much fun. Um, unfortunately, the pictures didn't help me very well. <laughs> but the idea is that we could see something nobody else could see. And and maybe I just want you this morning to see what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I can see what nobody else can see. You can see what the people around you don't see. 
You know the hidden paths, the connections that go from your mind to your heart to your actions. You know those things that you wrestle with inside that actually cause you to lose your peace and live in hell. You can see these things. I feel like Jesus this morning is asking all of us, how's your heart? Tom Wright writes it like this. What matters, says Jesus, is not so much that you don't commit murder, adultery, and the rest, but that your heart is right. God is looking for an obedience which goes through and through a person, resulting in an integrity between heart and action. We need a heart change to fully follow Jesus. Jesus asks his disciples to posture themselves to have a heart change. God is in the business of seeing hearts and changing minds. God is in that business of looking inside of us and seeing what's happening beneath the surface and then doing something with us, helping us transform. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The prophet Ezekiel writes this in chapter 11, verse 19. And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take a heart of stone out of flesh and give them a heart of flesh. The apostle Paul writes this to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It's throughout all of our Christian and Jewish history that God is in the process, in the business of doing a work inside of us, not just with our behavior. Christianity is not about moral behavioral control. It's not about making sure you stay behaviorally in the right lines. It's about posturing our hearts so that our hearts can look like the righteousness of God. That we can fully love him the way he first loved us. And then we can love ourselves and love the world around us. And by doing that, we keep all the commandments. The first and the second greatest. And then all the law and the prophets. We don't do this on our own, but we do this in in partnership with God and the Holy Spirit. Jesus invites the early disciples into this. Let me just, for a second, remind you that this is why we pray every Sunday. When we come together, we say these words. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your spirit that we may perfectly love you and glorify you. This is why we pray this at the beginning of every service because we know that the people in the rows beside us see us one way, but he sees us as we truly are. And we want to see us as we truly are in his eyes. Worship team, would you come forward? Let's for a few minutes as our team gathers, let's just for a few minutes, let's, 
Let's let Holy Spirit and ourselves work together to examine our hearts. Let him, let the Father, let Jesus examine your heart for a few minutes. Let me ask you a few questions as we do this together. In your life, in your heart, where is there anger, hatred, and name-calling? Where is there anger, hatred, and name-calling? In your heart, in your mind, where is there lust? Where is there unfaithfulness? Where is there selfishness and pride? Where is there a love of performance greater than the love of the Father? Before we reflect, let me just share one remind. I just thought of this one story from the scriptures. I mentioned it earlier, this story of, we call it the prodigal son, but the Bible calls it, let me, Jesus says, let me tell you a story of two sons. And we see the youngest just is a mess. And he is clearly in all of his behavior sinning. And he runs off and he's full of just garbage. And he comes back and he wants to be just like a servant. And the father says, no, you're not a servant. You're my son. You were dead, but now you're found. Let's celebrate. And the older son comes back angry from working out in the fields. And he's angry because the father is celebrating the younger son who did not do anything he was supposed to do. The story ends with this, this older son who did everything that he was asked to do as a son, sitting outside of the father's house, outside of the party. And the younger son who didn't do anything right, but he came back in humility, is sitting in the father's house at the feast. Like I said, it is completely possible for us to not love and know the Father and still do everything right and yet not be in Jerusalem, not live a life of peace and actually being outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this morning, once again, I ask you, where is anger underneath the surface? Where is hatred? Where is lust? Where is unfaithfulness? Where is selfishness? Where is there a love for performance rather than a love of the actual Father? Let's just reflect on this for just a moment.